0: Hello, my name is Greg Lewis. Welcome to the in Cotisol podcast, where we are teachers helping teachers. Do, 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 do. This is the second of a three-part interview with the effervescent Leonie Overbeek. In this episode... Leone introduces us to the woo-woo part of her personality and how no matter where she finds herself on life's road, she adapts and finds joy. While she does have boundaries and strong opinions she is willing to fight for, she remains agile and adaptable and able to find joy everywhere she goes. Leone goes on to share stories of the kindnesses of the people she met during her 12 years in Korea. Then, with her djembe drum slung over her back, Leonie takes us into her classroom to talk about music and how any music, even ACDC's Thunderstruck, can change a student's perspective and willingness to embrace living life large. Anyways, where were we? Oh uh, yes, I feel like as you've been telling me your stories that you're falling into these soft-bottomed holes that are like nice landings and you sort of go, "Oh, this is where I am." And you're happily carry on to the next thing until yeah. you sort of fall into another hole and it's, "Oh, it Yeah. It it, it. <laughs> But it takes that kind of a personality.
1: It's pretty much the story of my life.
0: (laughs) But you know, lots of people would do the same thing and not take advantage of that opportunities that they find at the bottom of that hole. And you really seem to have a knack for that.
1: I think it's because, and here we now get a bit into the woo-woo kind of part (laughs) of of my personality. Um There's there's a tiny little bit of me um, that sort of goes, okay, in Chinese astrology, I'm a water snake. Mm. In Western zodiac astrology, I'm a Scorpio. Both of those are water signs. And if we now think back to that formative experience that I had with Kalman, where he said, with what you pour yourself into mm. is what you become. I am definitely in that way very much in my element when I can pour myself into the shape of whatever vessel I am occupying.
0: Well, so is Karma now. Is Karma now like a yogi or something? He seems like he got you. <laughs> Unfortunately, he passed away um, in
1: 1997. Yeah, 1997. Mm. He he passed away. I'm sorry. But a very very dear man and um, if he wasn't a yogi, he should have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but I think this is the thing. Wherever I find myself, I adapt to my surroundings, and I mm-hmm. find great joy in being that, where I am.
0: That's exactly the word I had in my head, too, <laughs> joy. I thought, oh, she finds joy.
1: Yeah, and... Um, I mean it's not that life has been an easy path sure. at all in in all of these things. There there have been many problems along the way and um I mean two failed marriages. Um uh, both my children had uh bouts of experimenting with drugs and having to be shepherded through rehab. I've had uh not that much of a good relationship with my parents could have been a lot better mm-hmm. and certainly with my siblings yeah, mainly because in conservative south africa i was very much a liberal so it's it's the one area of my life i think where i do not adapt to anything else. I am very much a human rights activist, these days an environmentalist and an environmental rights activist, uh, you know, and...
0: um, Those boundaries, I think, are what define you. Like we talked about boundaries the other night, you know, creative boundaries, but these boundaries are really important.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. I have some strong opinions about what is right and just and fair, and i will fight for those everything else i'll adapt to (laughs) but for those you know um, so one of the things i um, definitely growing up in south africa as privileged white in a very privileged white society where uh, black students could not proceed past a school leaver certificate when I was at school. There was no chance for them to get into a university and so on. So one of the things I used to do at the University of Witwatersrand, where I was studying the Analytical Chemistry degree, is uh, uh, regularly engage in student protests and stuff. So You know, anyone that wants to go and have a look at South Africa's history, uh, you can look up people like the Black Sash and uh, people like Desmond Tutu, people like uh, Trevor Huddleston. Those were all very much formative on me in terms of, I believe that a person should get an opportunity to show what they are made of. That does not mean that I believe everyone is equal. We are not. Um, There are many differences between us. But I believe you have the right to be given at least an equal opportunity to develop yourself into the best person you can possibly be. And for me, that takes the form of education. If you are going to say that in our country, education is free for everyone, it truly should be free for everyone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you uh, have the kind of thing where people can own land, people can travel freely, everyone should be able to own land. Everyone should be able to travel freely. And so there's a, a lot of... People, uh, I think, that are disadvantaged simply because of their skin color or because of their ethnicity, such as the situation in Rwanda with the Hutus and the Tutsis, or because of their gender. And I will fight against those things wherever I see them and speak out against them wherever I see them.
0: You know, so many of us, and I'm grouping you and I in the same privileged boat. um, Yeah. But the difference between us, and it's quite stark, is that you recognized uh, early on, earlier on than me, certainly, uh, and then took action to try and do what you can to to make it better, to make it right, as much as you can. Yes. But uh, I'm humbled, <laughs> I guess is the word. Uh, I-, yeah. I recognize that, you know, being male and white and Canadian and uh, there's just, so- I'm just like privilege upon privilege upon privilege is l- mm-hmm. layered on me mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like I've never had to really suffer. Yeah. Um, but I haven't stepped into the fray like you have to fight for people who did not have that privilege. So uh, I, I really respect you for that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I do my best. And uh, sure. <laughs> uh, the other day in uh, the Green ELT um, panel for Cotisol, TESOL, um, one of the comments from one of the people was that uh, she felt that she's not making a difference she's Mm. she's not making a difference in the lives of her students um, because she sees them for so short a period of time and she doesn't have as much influence as for instance the korean teachers have on their lives and i said to her you will never know how much influence you have and if you make even the smallest difference the tiniest difference to at least one person's life you have achieved a great thing that's that's a philosophy I live by you do what you can even if it's very small very tiny and in a way the, the culmination of the battle came at Stellenbosch University where um, post-1994, which was the watershed where the democratic elec- first democratic election in South Africa was held. And of course Nelson Mandela was elected as president at that time. Right. And at Stellenbosch University, and in fact at universities around the country, the government instituted a third governing body. To be part of the governing process of the university, uh, not just with the Senate and the board of the university, but a body that would specifically look at inclusivity, at change, at transformation, and so on. And they designated these bodies uh, the as an institutional forum and they required that at the university these would be formed within six months of the announcement and from then on would be part of the governing process of the university overseeing decisions made by the senate and the board of the university and um I was the second chairperson of the Institutional Forum uh, after its uh, I'm not uh, formation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and, as part of my achievement during the two years that I was the chair of the Institutional Forum, was the allocation of an honorary degree by the University of Stellenbosch to Desmond Tutu. Wow. To put it into context, the University of Stellenbosch in many ways was the birthplace of apartheid of the white supremacy. Oh. It was where the people like Verwoerd and um, Boota and those people studied. It was where the Osava Brandwach found its flowering. It's the heart of white male Afrikaner privilege. And for them to grant Desmond Tutu an honorary degree
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, And just so it people listening, they can't see you, but they, your, your <laughs> arms are up and you're pumping your fists in the air. Yeah.
1: No, it really, it was, I mean, <sighs> escorting him into campus that morning of oh. of the investiture walking him and his wife around campus, taking him into the rector's dining room <laughs> for the lunch. Oh, it was pure, pure joy. And I must say, yeah. the last, my my sort of outgoing moment as chair of the institutional forum was to get a colored person appointed as the rector of the university, Professor Botma, uh, Russell Botma. And um, I mean, the same sort of thing that, you know, this formerly white Mm. bastion opening its doors to people of color. That was that was marvelous. And not just as students, but at the highest level.
0: Yeah. And, and does that forum that that was that sort of came about, I guess, came it's from… It's still… Still there.
1: It's still there. It's still there. It's still part of the governing body. And, um, you know, uh, oh, good. yeah, doing great work. So
0: <laughs> Wow. So you've had all of this. I'm going to drag you into Korea now. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. (laughs) So you have quite a foundation of experiences and life life, or lives lived before you ever got to Korea. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What was the sort of the one thing that sort of just made you, you know, buy a ticket and get into go to Korea?
1: Okay. Um, Nearly dying. (laughs)
0: That'll do it.
1: I had a bout of um, acute bronchitis, uh, which is something I suffered a lot with uh, during my years in uh, South Africa. And uh, my doctor had been treating it, uh, but it wasn't responding really well to it. So he prescribed two days of bed rest which, as it turned out, was exactly the wrong thing to do because lying still for two days allowed both my lungs to be invaded by pulmonary embolisms. Uh, oh. When they did the scan of, of the lungs, they counted 74 blood clots. That's what a pulmonary embolism is, is a blood yeah. clot in your lung. Uh, Normally, people who get it uh, have maybe one or two. And of course, the big danger of uh, pulmonary embolism is that those blood clots can break free and travel through your heart. And then that's it. Generally, the survival rate of people who get pulmonary embolisms is about 20%. So once again, I find myself in an elite group.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, what, so how do they get rid of these embolisms? I'm familiar with embolisms from scuba diving, and I've seen people die from an air embolism. But how, how did they so get rid of
1: So basically what happens is you are taken up into the ICU, with uh, extra oxygen because, of course, your lungs are now not getting enough oxygen. Right. And every day a nurse comes, swabs a um, spot on your tummy and injects warfarin, the rat poison.
0: Right. Oh, blood thinner, right.
1: Into you so that it will gradually thin all of those blood clots and dissolve them and hopefully none of them during these procedures would go through your heart which is why you stay in the ICU so that if the machines that are hooked up to your heart and, and everything like that start going beep 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 uh, they can resuscitate you and and do stuff like that to you so I basically spent about 3 weeks in the ICU and once they they feel that the clots are now small enough not to do catastrophic damage mm-hmm. you are moved into the uh, special treatments ward so still not into right. general ward they still monitor you but you are no longer 24 hours being monitored And I spent another month there before they were finally happy that the lungs were clear. There were no more clots and and things like that. And Can I I, I ask
0: you, before you leave the hospital there, and and during all of that time, were you taking it seriously or just taking it in your stride?
1: I was taking it in my stride, as always. I
0: figured. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I, I, I always take things in my stride. And in in fact, when I left the hospital, one of the nurses said, my God, I wish all patients were like you. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I did, because obviously I was in the ward where people with pneumonia and other lung diseases were were being treated, every morning... I would lead all of us in about of uh, tai chi and um, pilates breathing exercises. I am always a very informed patient. I know exactly, you know, what's going wrong with me, and mm. I am always aware of the treatments and what would be the best way forward and things like that. So.
0: There's a perfect segue then into Korea because had, have you ever been in a hospital in Korea and how did you find trying to you know, be on top of your own care?
1: Yeah, I I had to uh, be in hospitals in Korea twice. The first time for gallbladder surgery. The second time for um, a prolapsed situation, mm-hmm. like a hernia kind of situation. Yeah. and uh in both those cases of course it's it was pretty major surgery mm-hmm. but yeah, again, same sort of thing um I'm just a little ray of sunshine wherever i go <laughs> 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 oh that sounds that sounds horrible, it sounds so boastful. <laughs>
0: No, it doesn't. It does not sound boastful. No, it sounds great.
1: Yeah, it th- that's pretty much the way I I am these days. Um wherever I go, I make the most of the situation. So luckily I in korea i had a lot of wonderful friends and wonderful support systems and uh, so i never that? felt that i was totally alone
0: so when when people like a lot of people come in you know fresh in one year they're just they're just out of university they're they're landing their first sometimes it's their first job and they they think they're going to be here for a year some people stay some people go but that first i don't know 3 months is like a confusing time. So how did you land on your feet?
1: Um, I landed on my feet because I was prepared to land on my feet. I knew Mm. that I was now going into a completely different environment, a completely different culture, a culture that uh, I would need to adapt to. I did not expect the culture to adapt to me. I did my best to ask for advice and ask for help. I think this is probably to any newbie coming into Korea. This is one of the pieces of advice I will give to them. Ask your Korean colleagues for help. Do not be ashamed of the fact that you need help. First of all, you do and you're not going to do it on your own. Secondly, if you stay in the echo chamber of the foreign mm. forums and things you're going to get a lot of misinformation and you're actually going to put a lot of wrong steps in your relationship with your Korean colleagues but mainly Koreans love helping people mhm they really do they love helping people I agree I found this continuously. The, the people in the bank, the people at the post office, the, my colleagues at school, the bus drivers. Um, one incident springs to mind. We arrived in Korea from sunny South Africa into March winter. We did not have anywhere near The kind of protective clothing that was needed for this. So my daughter was placed at an elementary school in Butchon, and I was at a middle school in Soshen, Wasong. Uh The second weekend that we were there, I said to her, right, I'm going to take the... Uh, subway system and bus system and whatever, into Itaewon, which is where I was told I could shop for some good winter clothes, winter coats. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to bring you your coat, and then I'll go back home to to do my coat. You're a good mom. And uh, yeah, I know. And she said, okay, so. Imagine the situation. Here I am with two bags absolutely loaded down, not just with, with winter coats, but with actual winter clothing, gloves, caps, scarves, everything like that. Uh, struggling from Itaewon, um, to, uh, Yongsan station, which is on line one. And then at Yong's, then going to uh, Guro, where you have to change onto the Incheon line, because Bucheon was on the Incheon line. And at Guro station platform, I, I got off the subway and I was sort of looking around, okay, now where am I? Because this was the first time that I had done this transfer. And this uh, older Korean gentleman comes up to me. Where you go? Where you go? I said, I have to go to Butchon. He said, come me, come me. And he grabbed both these bags and he started walking and I just went after him. And we got (laughs) to the platform and he saw me into the carriage and he said, "Okay, so three, three. I said three stops. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Quenchana (laughs) yo, and then he then he exited again. So he wasn't even going in that direction. Wow! And I hadn't asked him or anything, but that that was Korea for me. That was the heart of Korea, and that's what I experienced a lot in Korea. Of course, there were frustrations. Of course, Mm -hmm. there are problems. Of course, there are the, the co-teachers from hell and the principals from hell. But in general, if you ask for help, if you are prepared to learn, if you are prepared to set aside your prejudices, it's amazing the experience that you will have.
0: So ask for help adapt to the culture rather than expect the culture to adapt to you and and get out of the expat bubble yeah get out there and meet real korean people and enjoy them Mm -hmm.
1: and of course the the nice thing about that is that the koreans love to hear about your life experiences Mm Mm-hmm. Everywhere I went, one of the constant things from my Korean co-teachers was, please teach our kids about South Africa. Please teach them about your culture. Please teach them some Afrikaans songs. Please teach them, you know, they would love it. And, of course, there are many parallels between South Korea and South Africa. Uh, Both were fairly conservative societies. Both value family above all else. Both have had the hardship of being a colonial country, and right. all that goes with that. So mm-hmm. we could we could connect on many levels, um, not just on the one.
0: And you being such a, a ray of sunshine, <laughs> are very approachable, and so people see oh, you are a window into the world and yeah. easy to talk to it's just like a, a perfect storm Or well, not a storm but exactly. perfect situation
1: yeah yeah <laughs> it does it, it works out that way
0: you sang some african african songs for uh s- students as part of some of yes. your, your lessons yeah yeah how would you use songs in your lessons this is like public school
1: yeah, yeah, public I I was always at public school level. Um middle school, elementary school. Um for example, when we did the unit that was all about jobs. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the different jobs you can do. I taught them a mining work song. Now, I mean, all cultures have these rhythmic mm-hmm work songs um that help people to swing the pickaxe and you know dig in the shovel and and so on and this is a fairly easy one to teach uh to them so here goes Shosalosa, uenzen daba stimila stimila wenye abalega. Shosalosa, stimila stimila Weniabalega And it's sung in the way where the leader would sing, and then the group would respond. So, Shor, like Yeah, so Shor Shalosa, Shor Shalosa,
0: Oo
1: Wens and Daba,
0: Oo Daba,
1: Stimilla, Stimilla,
0: Stimilla, Stimilla,
1: wenia Abalega, Wenny <laughs> So yeah, a couple of, of time.
0: What do the words mean?
1: Okay, Shosholoza is a train. It's, oh. it's an actual train, the name of a train, like the Mugungwa in, in oh. Korea. And it's a train that would bring the mine workers from the rural areas into places like Johannesburg and um, Brakpan and those places where the mines were to work. And this particular song is on the Shoza train. I am going home to see the people that are waiting for me, but it will bring me back again. Mm. So.
0: What's that? That repet, that i The da 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 da. What's that part?
1: Stimula, stimula, working hard, working hard. Ah, I wondered <laughs> if that was
0: a train sound, but yeah, working hard, working hard. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> And, and and the music i mean you started off you were with your uncle's band in south africa and so that's yeah. you know stimulated your artistic uh, yeah, yeah. bent and uh, and you how much did you bring music into your korean classrooms ooh a lot sl-
1: no a lot, a lot. Oh. because in terms of being an instrumentalist i'm a drummer
0: ah <laughs>
1: Uh, I carry my djembe drum with me wherever I go.
0: Uh, is that your introduction to music, introducing the, the students to the fact that you're going to be doing music or music will be part of the class?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I bring the djembe drum in. And of course, the djembe drum is similar enough in shape to the Korean double drum. That's yeah, part yeah, that's of right. the... You know except that it only has the one head and is open at the base and you play it with your hands rather than with the actual drumsticks but of course with with them they they are all drummers as well i mean they you know uh they get that as part of their education so bringing Mm. in the djembe drum which looks different but familiar mm. and has a slightly different tonal sound. They, they all want to hit it and hear it and what have sure. you. So the drum gets passed around. Each person gets a minute to do whatever they want to on it. Then we go, okay, so today we're going to talk about this particular song. And I mean, I didn't do that many... African songs with them. I would Mm -hmm. more focus on uh, songs that had good lyrics, good English lyrics, where the singers were clear enough to be understood. Mm -hmm. And one memorable, memorable day as well at middle school, we did Adele's Rolling in the Deep. Wow. And one of the students in the class was a boy that in Korean society had many disadvantages. He wore thick glasses, Mm -hmm. he had acne, and he was what they reckon in Korean terms to be fat. And so he would get mercilessly bullied and teased and what have you by the rest of the class. So... When it came to lessons, he would maybe do two or three words and then retreat inside his little shell. Mm. I did not know this, but this song by Adele was his favorite song, and he knew every word. Oh good and we I had just started playing it on on YouTube past the first maybe eight bars. And from the back of the room, this voice rang out and he oh, yeah. s- I just let the, I let the song run and yeah, he yeah. was singing along and he was so into it, not just singing it, but his whole body was into it. Mm. And the rest of the class were watching this with astonishment. They had never realized that this was right. in this boy And at the end of it, everyone in the class stood up and gave him a round of applause.
0: Oh, isn't that fantastic?
1: And I said, "Okay, my assistant teacher for this lesson is. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) and so we spent the rest of the lesson now doing all of the activities that I had planned, like the jigsaw puzzle of getting the lyrics right, uh, practicing the lyrics, talking about you know what emotion it evokes and and things like that. So you really music is did, amazing.
0: It is. It really is an amazing tool. I'm afraid to use it. I just think that they, I'm dealing with older students, but I, I think they you know they've kind of decided that this is the kind of music they like, and what I bring in maybe not be acceptable. It's my fear, mm. but. Uh,
1: Please let me disabuse me you. Let let me disabuse <laughs> you of that fear right away. Do you know what the most popular music was among my middle school students? No. The Beatles and ABBA. Really. really? They loved them. They
0: loved them. How would they how would they even know about them? No, They're 20 30 years too late.
1: <laughs> no, they loved the music when I would play it to them. Oh, I see. Ah. Yeah. And I used I used many sort of things. For example, one of the things that I used to great effect and I love it. ACDC's Thunderstruck.
0: No way.
1: <laughs> but here's how. It's simple. All of them are very much into classical music and so on. So there was this unit who invented, who made, who, you know, who made Hangul Alphabet, King Sejong, that was sort of the target language. I played the two cellos version of Thunderstruck.
0: Oh, yes. It's fabulous, yeah.
1: It's fabulous, and it starts off enough, like classical music, to trick them into then, you know, when I said, okay, who composed this? They were going, you know, oh, uh, Handel, uh, Tchaikovsky, uh, Beethoven, <laughs> uh, people <laughs> like that. And I said, no, let me introduce you. And then I showed ACDC performing Thunderstruck live at the Dome. And, of course, they were all, wow, and especially <laughs> – Especially that wonderful one-handed guitar riff.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Oh, man. You know, so (laughs) this is the thing. With doing stuff like that, don't assume that your students are going to hate it. Introduce them to stuff that they haven't seen before. Some of them will hate it. Some of them will hate it. But that's okay. In fact, warn them before the time. Some of you might not like this music, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. You have the right to have this opinion, but tell me why you don't like it. Mm -hmm. What is it about it that you don't like? It opens up conversation. It opens up critical thinking. It opens up so many opportunities for discussion and it's natural and it's authentic material.
0: (laughs) You know, I hope you are hearing what I am hearing. I am listening to how easily Leone shares her ideas and her perspective and support. I expressed my hesitation to use music in my language classes. And I love music. Yet I have never found success bringing it into my classroom. Then, with just a gentle nudge... Leone drops a few pearls, and and just like that, she's giving me the inspiration to to try again with a fresh attitude. We have traveled with Leone in Part 1 from South Africa to Korea in Part 2, but now, not being one to get too comfortable, Leone opts for a new adventure. In Part 3, Our final episode featuring Leone Overbeek. Leone takes us to a little house on a piece of land in a small village in the Balkan Republic of Bulgaria, part of southeastern Europe, and a cultural melting pot of historical regional influences. It is where Leone takes us next as she continues to reinvent herself. Join me next week for our spring series Now and Then, this month featuring Leonie Overbeek in three parts. The final episode, part three, coming soon. My name is Greg Lewis, and you have been listening to the Young In Cotisol podcast. Bye for now.